please turn with me on paper uh, or on a device to Psalm uh, 118 verses 19 through 29. Uh, as I've been saying, today's Palm Sunday and our lectionary that we follow has us reading a psalm that was written centuries earlier, centuries before Jesus came riding into Jerusalem. Why? Well, because this is the psalm, Psalm 118 is the psalm that points forward and has its fulfillment in Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He's coming in as the king who's talked about in Psalm 118. Now look, we've been talking about in the last several weeks how our worship imitates life and it teaches us something about how to live, right? So at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of 2020, we were in the season of epiphany, which is a season of revealing. It's a season of light, being on the mountaintop, being able to see. The last five weeks, we've been in the season of Lent, uh, a season of darkness, a season of going without. And we, none of us thought how much we would be going without during this time. And... Our worship is following along in that. Now begins Holy Week. It's an opportunity for us to get right at the heart of the Christian gospel. Holy Week centers all the way around the the work of Jesus and how people expected him to be one kind of king. But it turns out he's a very different king. And that something different is exactly the king that you and I need, no matter where you're at today. So here now, Psalm 118, verses 19 through 25. This is God's word, eternally true. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray one more time, friends. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law and grow in us 30, 60, and 100-fold. Amen. Are you going to fix up this house? I want you to imagine for a second being a landlord. And as a landlord, you have a tenant. A tenant that you've allowed to live in your house nearly rent-free because out of the goodness of your heart, you've chosen to help this tenant out. But then imagine the tenant starts asking you, to make renovations on the house. Uh, But there's only one problem. They never clean up the house. The house is a mess. They don't take care of it. The bathroom is full of mold. The kitchen is covered in grease. And yet they're coming to you uh, asking, are you going to fix up this house or what? How would you respond? 
I mean, maybe you'd try and hide your shock and uh, say something like, well, it's going to be pretty hard for me to paint over mold. Maybe you could clean that up first, right? Uh, but then imagine they look back at you and they say, yeah, buddy, but it's your house. I expect you to fix this place up for me. Now, I think we can have a similar reaction to Jesus. It's sort of like asking, is Jesus going to be the kind of king that I expect him to be? Because you see, on Palm Sunday, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem. And that's like saying, the landlord came to visit the house. In fact, uh, three out of four gospel records record a story that Jesus tells where a landlord uh, rents out his vineyard to some wicked tenants. And in the story, the tenants break their agreement with the landlord, and the tenants expect that if they could kill the landlord's son, then the vineyard would become theirs. They would get to have the house. And in all three of those gospel accounts, the story that Jesus tells is recorded right after Palm Sunday. And like many of the stories that Jesus tells, uh, he's telling the story to make a point, and he uses Psalm 118 to make that point. Uh, At the end, Jesus says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is talking about himself. So today, we have to rejoice and be glad in Jesus, who is the king that we didn't expect, because he is the fulfillment of Psalm 118. And we're going to see today how Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 118, how Jesus is the king that we didn't expect. Uh, We're going to see it when we look at this psalm and see how it applies to David, see how it applies to Joseph, and see ultimately how it applies to Jesus, to David, to Joseph, and to Jesus. Now, what do I mean by a king that people didn't expect? I mean a king that God grants success to in the midst of affliction, the, the very hardest of circumstances. So let's start by looking at King David. Uh, David would have been the first king that the people in Jesus' day would have looked back to and thought about in regard to this Psalm 118. David was a king who had success in the midst of affliction. David was the king that the people in Jesus' day were expecting. Except that the people had forgotten some very important parts of David's story. And before I get too far ahead of myself, let's dig into the psalm itself and we're going to connect it to David. If you look at the whole of Psalm 118, you get this very clear sense that it's meant to be used as a call and response, like we did earlier in our service, uh, and like we often do on Sunday mornings. We'll do a call and response. The leader calls one line, the people respond the next line. If you look back in verses 1 through 4 of this psalm, it's very obvious, right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, says the leader in verse 1. And then the people respond, His steadfast love endures forever. The leader goes on to say, let Israel say, and then the people, his steadfast love endures forever. The leader, then the house of Aaron, then the people, his steadfast love endures forever. You see how that call and response works. And by the time you get down to the verses that we, that I just read, uh, the call and response we find is telling a story. It's the story of a king of Israel coming to the temple to make a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And that whole bit of the psalm makes more sense if you understand the call and response as it goes on. When the king comes to the temple, who's at the door? 
The priests are at the door. They're the gate guards, if you will, to the temple. Uh, so now look at Psalm, uh, or look at verse 19 and hear the call and response between the king and the priests. Right? The king starts. Uh, he says, Open to me the gates of righteousness. Let me come through them and give thanks to the Lord. But the priests respond in verse 20. Uh, They respond like good gate guards talking to the king. They say, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. It's like they're saying, hey, buddy, not just anyone can come through these doors. What's your justification for us opening these doors to you? You see, there's a righteousness that the king needs. Now, what exactly is righteousness? Uh, I think one of the best definitions of righteousness I ever heard was uh, when one theologian who said, righteousness is a record of merit that opens doors. Righteousness is a record of merit that opens doors, like, like a college degree, right? If you have a transcript from an Ivy League school, and I have a few friends who do, and one of them calls it uh, dropping the H-bomb uh, because he went to Harvard. Uh, it's a record of merit that opens doors for him. Or what do you look for when you hire a contractor to do some work on your house? You look for someone who is licensed and bonded, that they have that record of merit, whether it's a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter, that license is a record of merit that opens doors for those workers to get the best jobs. The people in Jesus' day saw King David as the ultimate king who had a record of merit as king that would open the doors for him. So when they read, uh, the people of Jesus, they read Psalm 118, they would have thought of uh, David as the king singing this psalm. And what would David say about his own record of merit? I think David would say exactly what the psalmist says in verse 21. Look there, he gives thanks to the Lord and he says, I thank you that you have answered me and you have become my salvation. Right? David says, in essence, my record of merit comes from the Lord, the one who has rescued me, the one who has saved me. And that's what I believe the priests mean when they answer David in verse 22. The stone the builders rejected, that's David, he's become the cornerstone. Because you see, David was a king that the people back in his day didn't expect at all. David, David was the youngest out of all his brothers. He was number eight of eight. Nobody expected that when the prophet Samuel showed up uh, at Jesse's house and Jesse brought out all his sons, that, that he would work his way down to the youngest one and anoint David as king, uh, as a sign that he would be the one to replace Saul as king in Israel. I mean, look, have you ever had a bad boss? Have you ever had a boss who was threatened by you? Have you ever had a boss who uh, did his best to destroy your reputation among your peers? Or uh, a boss who knew that you were due for a promotion, but he did everything in his power to stand in the way of that promotion? Well, that was David's life after he was anointed. He went to work under King Saul, and David experienced affliction. Uh, But in the midst of those circumstances with a bad boss, the worst boss, God gave David success. And David, in the midst of that, refused to fight Saul. Uh, Even after Saul tried several times to kill him, David waited. He didn't try to achieve his own record of merit. 
David knew that all the success he had ever had came from the Lord. Uh, So when the day of David's crowning finally came, when Saul uh, died and was out of the way and David was being crowned, that's what verses 23 and 24 of the psalm depict. Uh, This, this crown that David is wearing is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This day, this coronation day of David is a day that the Lord has made possible, so we must rejoice and be glad in it. It wasn't David's record of merit that opened the doors of righteousness for him. It was the Lord, the Lord who had saved David from the giant Goliath when he fought him. And it was the Lord who had saved David from the hand of Saul, his bad boss. It was the Lord who had sent Samuel to anoint David as king. And that brings us to verse 25 that we can cry when we hear David's story. Verse 25 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. I mean, don't you want success like David? A success that comes from the Lord. Uh, A success that is based on His work for you and not your own attempt at achieving a record of merit. David didn't work his own way out of his problems He waited on the Lord, and he trusted in Him for his ultimate success. But in all this, David wouldn't necessarily be thinking of himself as the forerunner to the ultimate Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word that means anointed, the ultimate anointed one, uh, the ultimate king. I mean, what David knew was that God is the true king, and that any earthly king should imitate the character of God in ruling his people. And that involved both trust and doing. Uh, But it was more likely that David probably saw himself as a later reflection of an earlier king, a king earlier in history that no one had expected, another king that God had granted success to in the midst of his affliction. That king was Joseph. Now, uh, no one ever expected Joseph to be king, right? Uh, I'm talking, of course, about the story of Joseph. Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. It's more than uh, it's more than a musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, although it's a great musical. Uh, it's the story of an unexpected king that God granted success. In fact, verse 25 of the psalm, uh, the word that's translated success there is one of my favorite Hebrew words because it's the same word translated success in Joseph's story way back in Genesis chapter 39. And there in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 3, it says that God gave Joseph success in all that he did. But Joseph had this success in the midst of great affliction. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Uh, That's why I think David would have thought of Joseph. Uh, Anyone who has ever had brothers and has been rejected by them, uh, or if your family never thought that you would amount to much, uh, Joseph is a guy whose story is for you. His success in Genesis 39.3 was a success that came while he was a slave in Egypt. Uh, Joseph had success running a household as a slave. Uh, That is, He had this success until he was wrongfully accused of rape and put in prison uh, in a sham trial of he said, she said. But do you know what happened to Joseph in the affliction of prison? At the end of Genesis 39, uh, 39, 23, it says that the prison guard left everything in the prison in charge of Joseph 
because the prison guard could tell that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph also had a record of merit that opened doors for him. While he was in prison, he interpreted the dreams of two men, one who lived, uh, one who, yeah, one who lived and the other died. And the one who lived ended up working for the king. He ended up back in his position working for Pharaoh. And it was there that the king had a dream. And in that moment, the, the guy remembered Joseph. Joseph's record of merit as a dream interpreter opened doors for him. But it was God who had given Joseph that success. Joseph even says that in Genesis chapter 40, verse 8. Do not the interpretations of dreams belong to God? And Joseph, when he's standing in front of Pharaoh, says the same thing. My success belongs in the hands of God. God has given me success. The record of merit that opened this door for me to stand before you came from God, not from me. And because of Joseph's interpretation of the dreams, Pharaoh makes Joseph his second in command. Pharaoh says that no one in Egypt is going to be higher than Joseph except the Pharaoh himself, which effectively makes Joseph a king. Now, Joseph was put in charge as a king to make provision for all the people of Egypt in the midst of affliction. There was a famine across the whole known world at the time. Everyone in the world was suffering. Does it sound familiar? God gave Joseph success, and as a result, Egypt was suffering a lot less. So what happened? Joseph's brothers came to Egypt looking for food, and what did they find? Joseph's brothers found the king that they did not expect. They found the brother that they had rejected. Joseph had become the cornerstone of Egypt. He was the head of the corner. Everything that was being measured off in Egypt was being measured by Joseph, just like verse 22 of our psalm. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And when the brothers were reconciled to Joseph after a long series of events, uh, it was Joseph who marveled at the whole thing and basically said, verses 23 and 24 of our psalm, this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. This day, this day of reconciliation among the brothers is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I mean, actually, technically, Joseph said, what you brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. And my coming here in my uh, rejection and in my affliction has meant the saving of many lives, including yours. Would you expect a king like Joseph, a king who would show mercy on those who had rejected him? <laughs> After all his success, Joseph could have done anything to his brothers. I mean, he really could have paid them back. But he waited on the Lord and he showed his brothers grace. Nobody expected that. It would have been easier for David to look back at Joseph and to see that his success was in line with Joseph's success. And the people of Jesus' day uh, could have looked back both to David and to Joseph and prayed verse 25 of the psalm, Save us, O Lord. O Lord, give us success. The problem was the people in Jesus' day, many of them missed the point. They were fixated on the wrong kind of success, which it can be our problem today too. We're fixated on the wrong kind of success. We look for a different kind of merit. And on Palm Sunday, the people of Jesus' day were looking for a self-made political hero. 
And Jesus seemed like he might be the kind of guy who would fit the bill for them, a self-made political hero. You see, it's possible to look back at the story of Joseph and David and see those two guys as two self-made men. To look at David and Joseph uh, as two guys who caught a lucky break uh, and made the most of it because they were savvy, they were resourceful, and as a result, the people under those savvy, resourceful, self-made men prospered. But look at the record of merit of these old kings. Joseph had given the people bread. I mean, literally, he had given them bread. He saved the world during a famine. And David had given the people a different kind of bread. He gave them the food of political and military victory. And now along comes Jesus at a moment when the people of Israel are under the thumb of a foreign oppressor. Uh, Their livelihood is at risk because they're under an unjust tax system. And they're thinking, what could Jesus do? I mean, Jesus could multiply bread. He, he multiplied loaves and fishes and did that miracle. And that was one of the things that, that got people to follow him. Jesus could heal the blind and the deaf. He could heal disease. He brought people back from the dead. What kind of victory could he give us if he can do those things, right? Maybe Jesus could throw down Rome. I don't know. Maybe Jesus is the guy who could get us a tax break. Maybe Jesus is the guy who can make sure that we all have bread forever. But you see, all those questions, all those ways of looking back at those kings and applying them to Jesus are the wrong questions. They're the wrong questions because the people and their religious leaders were hyper-focused on the wrong parts of those stories of those earlier kings. So on Palm Sunday, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the people cut down palm branches and they waved them and they threw their cloaks down on the road in front of him to make a sort of a red carpet for the the new king to come in and come riding on. Where is this self-made man who's going to give us bread? Where is this self-made man who's going to throw off our political oppression? And they shouted the words of verse 26 of the psalm, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they shouted the words of verse 25, in Hebrew, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, please, save us, please. The people and their leaders actually are like those wicked tenants. Hey, are you going to fix this house for me? Are you, Jesus, are you going to be as great as David, the self-made man? Because that's what we want. But Jesus, like Joseph and David, was a king that the people didn't expect. Uh, Several years ago, uh, the famous pastor John Piper uh, visited Angola Prison in Louisiana. Now, Angola is a prison known uh, for its murder rate among the inmates, murder happening behind bars. It's not a happy place. But uh, at the time that Piper went to visit them, a religious revival had broken out. People were coming to Christ in droves. And Piper visited, and he preached a sermon there. And uh, if if you find the recording of Piper preaching there and listen to it, you can hear how heavy the occasion laid on his shoulders. You can hear kind of how nervous he was as he was speaking to them. And he says as much, but he says to the prisoners, he says, you know, this message might be easier for you guys behind bars to get because most of you have lost everything. You're not like the people in my congregation back home who have everything that the world has to give. You've lost it all, so you might understand this better. And Piper went on to say the main point of his sermon. He said, Jesus came 
not to give bread, but to be bread. Jesus came not to give bread, but to be bread. Piper said, a lot of people come to my church and think that Jesus is going to be a nice addition to their life, that maybe he'll give them more bread, more of the things that the world offers. He says, but maybe you people here in this prison, most of whom will die behind bars, maybe in your affliction, you'll understand that Jesus came not to give bread or the things of the world, but to be bread. You know, Piper could have been given this sermon uh, to the Palm Sunday crowd. Right? Because the people on Palm Sunday thought that Jesus was going to give bread. They didn't know that he had come to be bread. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 27 in the psalm. Bind the, sa- the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Uh, in that ancient psalm, in this, uh, in this call and response story, the king is coming to the priests. And he's coming in order to have them open the doors of the temple. That's what it says in verse 28. And when they open the doors, he's going to bring in a sacrificial animal. And he's going to let its blood be poured out on the altar. And then the sacrifice would be burned on the altar, on the horns of the altar. And the king and the priests would partake of it. Because of the record of merit of the king, the doors would be open to him to do this. Because God had anointed the king and God had saved the king, the king would come and give thanks to God and lead the people in the rightness and the justice of God in his character. Palm Sunday and Holy Week especially are another opportunity for us to follow the true king to the doors of the temple and to rest in his merit to have the doors opened both for him and for us. When the people saw and the religious leaders saw that Jesus had come not in a way that they had expected, not as a self-made man, they rejected him. They rejected him all the way to an unjust trial and his crucifixion. But Joseph, but like Joseph and like David, uh, God granted Jesus success in what he suffered. Because Jesus is not only the true king, he's the true priest. And ultimately, more than the true priest, he is the sacrifice. He's the sacrifice who was bound and taken up onto the horns of the altar. The cross is the altar where Jesus' blood was poured out. Jesus is the king who poured out his grace on the very people who had rejected him. What would you do? to get a record of merit that would open a door for you? What paperwork would you chase down? What favors would you try and call in? How would you be willing to dress and act in order to have somebody right now do a favor for you that you really need? Look, Jesus has opened a door for you by his record of merit. So don't be fooled by the bread that you get from earthly kings. Uh, There's only one king who has a record of merit that opens the doors of eternal life for you, and that's Jesus. You don't have to do anything to get that record of merit other than humbly come and receive it from Him. Let go of your own record of merit and receive His. Because something we never expected has happened. God Himself has come to redeem His people. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes, just like it says in verse 23. Eternal life is actually something you can start living today, here and now. Joseph and David and ultimately Jesus lived eternal life, eternally trusting God in the midst of their greatest affliction. 
Jesus is like David, the anointed one who waited on God to put his enemies down. The one who as king imitated God and lived out his character among the people. But greater than David, Jesus did this living out of God's character perfectly. And Jesus is like Joseph, the king who showed grace to those who rejected him. Joseph showed grace to his brothers and to the land of Egypt as a slave. But Jesus shows grace to the ones who have rejected him, to the whole world and to you. And he does it perfectly as the son of God. Jesus has a record of merit that doesn't just open mere earthly doors, but Jesus, as the priest and sacrifice, opens eternal doors, heavenly doors, to you in the midst of your greatest affliction. You will have power to wait on God and to imitate God when you rest in Jesus. In Jesus, you will have power to show grace to those who've rejected you. And we have to rejoice in this day. We have to rejoice in Palm Sunday where Jesus rode in to receive the honor due him as king, even though the people didn't fully recognize exactly what kind of king he was. We must rejoice because there is an ultimate coronation day coming for Jesus, a day when he will return to earth, he'll finish his work of redeeming all things, and then we will say, like the psalmist in verse 29, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, For he is good, for his steadfast love toward you in Jesus, the king you didn't expect, that steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, who sent Jesus, the king we didn't expect, whom you granted success in the midst of his suffering and rejection, grant us eyes to see our true king and to take on his righteousness that we might live eternal life beginning today rejoicing together with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.